What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, joined by my co-host, Raul and Shu. Today, we got John Watson from the Devil's Den with us. Um, obviously, the season's already started a little bit, but we want to do like a comprehensive season preview, um, talk a little bit about our predictions and spotlight a few guys and talk a little bit about the schedule, what games we're looking forward to, what tournaments Duke's going to be in. Before we jump into that, though, obviously, we don't want to bury the lead too much. We just played Jacksonville last night. So we'll recap that game a little bit, get into it, the highs, the lows, or takeaways. Um, and, and I guess I'll just start off by saying Duke came into the game favored by 15 and a half, um, ended up covering that pretty comfortably, especially that that run right there at the end of the first half leading into the second half. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the key takeaways from that, though. So obviously still missing Derek Lively, still missing Derek Whitehead. Sounds like they might still be a little ways away. There's some rumblings. We'll kind of get into that. Um, last week though, we talked a lot about the defense and like how we were impressed with the ball screen defense, how we were impressed with some of the rotations. Uh, last night it took a little bit of a hit in that. I think that wasn't as consistent as we saw against Fayetteville State. I think there were moments where we played like really good defense. And then there were moments where we kind of got a little lost. Um, Raul, I'll kind of go to you first. The, the numbers still support a really strong defensive outing. Was there anything that you saw that Jacksonville was doing differently to take advantage of some of the ball screen stuff, some of the actions, um, kind of those secondary breaks? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I think that it was kind of a tale of two halves or like really a tale of 15 minutes followed by 25 minutes. The first 15 minutes was where we were really struggling on defense. Um, you know, they were kind of carving us up in the ball screen, but not necessarily in the ways you would think. I still liked the coverage, but, you know, then they pass into the middle and then it'd be that kind of secondary rotation where there was a cutter or some other kind of action going on that we would uh, not make that second rotation there. And yeah, so we were uh, kind of trading baskets for a while there. And then I'm not sure exactly how you would describe the adjustments but what I did notice was for the last 25 minutes of the game, they were running less pick and roll in general. And there was a lot more like just straight up post-ups and ISOs and a lot of mid-range jumpers that we were kind of willingly giving them. So it was nice to see us clean up. The other thing that we cleaned up as the game went on was the defensive rebounding because we were really uh, struggling with that out of the gate. But then in that second half there, we really clamped down on the boards, and that was a big factor too. Yeah, the announcers kept talking about the ball screen defense. And for me, I still thought the initial point of attack on the ball screen defense was still really good. It's still what we had saw, it, uh, saw against Fayetteville State. It was more those kind of the back doors or the secondary guys on the wings kind of leaking up a little bit. Um, I think Flip missed a few rotations there. Grandison missed a few rotations. And I don't know if it was like intentional, but it seemed like at some point we just kind of started saying like, hey, stop selling out on those three-point shots. That let Just let some of these guys take these, right? Like sag in a little bit, stop trying to kind of overplay it. Um, and it ended up working. I don't know what their final number was, but I think they only made like what, one or two threes the whole night, like 13% or something like that? It's 13%. I want to say it was like, what, one, one of 12, one of 13, I don't know. 
and a lot of them just weren't even like that close either. I mean, they, they got some decent looks, but they they weren't shooting it well. Um, I think their best player was like kind of known for being a pretty good shooter coming in. I think he was like one of eight or one of nine or something like that. Um, I don't think anyone scored double digits for Jacksonville. So obviously you hold somebody to 44 points. But they, they had one guy off the bench, uh, Marsh. The Marsh guy, yeah. yeah. Now he was like, he was eating us. He was yeah. like six of seven or something like yeah. that. They had a lot of those high lows, those yep. dumps that they were getting to him. Um, I, I still think overall the defense is probably the strong suit of this team, um, especially when you consider the potential for bringing back Lively, bringing back... Uh, um, Dariq both project as, as quality defenders. Um, it's unfortunate just looking at Ken Palm that we kind of got like shafted on the algorithm a little bit by starting off in the 40s. So it's going to be kind of hard. Like you mm. look at it and it's the 38th defense, but I'm seeing like probably top 10 defense right now. Um, just obviously it's one game, right? But still everyone else is playing the same one. So it's, you know, we're, we're kind of working against that a little bit, but. Um, I think we are like top three in offense already. So it's, you know, got to go against the, the preseason numbers a little bit there. Um, yeah, it seemed Rumble, like he just did... gave us the same split as last yeah. year with yeah. a completely new coach. So that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But whatever, you know, the, the numbers don't actually reflect anything at this point. To worry about that a little bit more in January or February. Yeah, and you mentioned the rebounding, and I want to get into that too. But obviously, I think you just said something that maybe we should back up on. Um it's Shire's first win, brand new team, right? So obviously mm -hmm. John got his first win. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of emotions going into that for him. I think he kind of got the Gatorade treatment in the locker room. Um, pretty cool moment. So we've talked about it a lot, what it's going to be like to kind of watch John over there. We talked about how he was going to motivate Shu. I know you were talking about that, like what he's going to be like, what the presence is going to be like. What would you see from him over there on the sidelines? To me, he was kind of barking. He was kind of up and up and at it. What was your, is that what you expected or was that a little out of pocket for John? No, that's, I mean, that's what I wanted to see. Um, one particular play that I remember, uh, I remember if it was Nolan, it was one of the guards kind of got away with a, a, a mm -hmm. over the shoulder, you know, dribble right there and in front made, of the crazies. And then, and then they hit a shot three, too, yeah. right? Um, shout out to Josh Evans, our boy that was in the crowd. Um, yeah. He was, you know, telling us, you know, he's watching John right now. He's like, John's really barking the rest on that. Like, because that was one of the, th that might have been the only three years they might have hit two. One of two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, right after that play. So John was on him. Uh, for that, for sure. So um, kudos to John for doing that. And then going back to what Roll was saying about rebounding, I watched John uh, vividly, like, telling Flip to grab the ball. You know, I think Flip had kind of went up for a rebound, had it in his mitts. It got knocked away. They get an offensive rebound and put back. Um, and, and so, John, you know, I think he told him, like, if you rebound, you will stay on the floor. And then after that point, when you see Flip coming down, like, you see him chin it like you're supposed to like really aggressively going for the rebound. So um glad to see that kind of stuff working out for John in his first game, at least. Yeah, and after that, the rebounding really took off too. Right. Like yep. Flip comes in, gets the double, double. Um, our guards were rebounding really well. Mitchell randomly only had one, which was kind of weird um, considering how he's all over the place, but everyone it's pretty much was collective. You know, I think Jeremy had six and Jacob had five, you know, so yeah, everybody's yeah. rebounding. Yeah, I'm not, you know. I'm not too worried about it from Mitchell. I think he's going to rebound well. Yeah, he's playing the three, too. So it's, yeah. you know, he's kind of leaking a little bit or he's still, he's out on the wings doing some denial. 
Um, but it was good to see that the adjustment was made and the rebounding was there. Uh, John, I want to ask you about something too. We talked a little bit about like in the preseason and earlier on about like how Shire is going to be at the coach, how he's going to delegate different tasks and something that was kind of interesting to me is it came out over the broadcast that Jay Lucas is actually in charge of the defense. So what do you think that says about Shire already kind of trusting that assistant to take such a huge part because he's saying defense is our identity and trusting Jay to kind of be the guy to lead that? Well, I think it's one thing we've said as, as Duke people, our Duke fans, Duke followers for the last couple of years, you know, it's always been about Duke and Kentucky with the recruiting one thing everyone would say about Cal is, man, he gets those freshmen to play defense. Whereas in Durham, we're sitting there going, you know, what's going on? I mean, why are we getting sliced up on a pick and roll? Why are we getting sliced up on the back doors? I mean, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's kind of a coincidence. You take Kentucky's top assistant and all of a sudden the defense gets really good. Um, so that, that's interesting. I think it, to answer your question more directly, I think it's, it's just an affirmation of, you know, why he hired uh, Lucas. Um, you know, when Jay was on the podcast here, you know, he said his job is to assist. And, you know, Shire is delegated pretty heavily to him, it looked like to me. And it's just, it's, it's paying off in droves. And, you know, some of the things we saw last night defensively, I think you're going to get remedied a lot when you have a, literally an elite shot blocker back there to kind of clean up some of the mistakes that are made. Um, but overall, I think, I think it's fair to say the defense looks better uh, at this point than the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely from like the full, like a philosophical standpoint too, of just how we're kind of defending ball screen, how we're kind of sagging a little bit. Um, it's pretty impressive to me that we're playing those three kind of quote unquote big guys and still looking so kind of versatile out there. Um, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I've been really impressed with Ryan Young on both ends. Like, dude is a workhorse. He gets after it. Um, he's not really getting beat a whole lot defensively, and we're not asking him to do things that he can't really do. And I think that might have been maybe not so much a fault, but something that we kind of applied for as flexible mm -hmm. and adaptive as K was offensively. The drawbacks seemed to be that didn't really apply that much to the defensive end. Um except for like randomly. And when he did do it, it worked well. Like in 18, we went to the zone and we really took off. In 2010, he did the kind of um, the pack line almost or like a modified version of that and we won a championship. Um, but it seemed like they really had to force him out of like overplay pressure man. Like they really, really had to like make it obvious it wasn't going to work before he kind of switched it up. And so yeah, maybe... You remember in 18, the defense was cratering before we... Yeah, it was uh, switched. awful. Yeah. Because you had like both Bagley and Carter out there trying to guard, you know, three-point shooters. And that just wasn't their strength. Well, no defense was Bagley's strength, but <laughs> right. Carter was an elite rim protector and we had him so far away from the rim and it was just kind of misusing him. Compare that to Ryan Young, who's kind of allowed to just sit there in the paint and he only comes out maybe to the free throw line. Oh, yep. Yeah, he was kind of playing drop coverage almost the entire time, you know, right. um, and even front in the post there a little bit. Did you watch him? Uh I noticed it. So one thing I started focusing on was every time a shot goes up, he looks for a body. Yes. Yep. Just, mm, just yeah. to put his body on. And well, I you mean, can tell he hasn't been at Duke for four years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is, he's a physical dude. I mean, just, just a bulldozer in there. Um, and I mean, it was interesting. Like I, I said it on Twitter last night, 
this guy's going to have more bumps and bruises than anyone I can remember in a long time. Cause I mean, he got fat. He drew six fouls last night. He was, you know, rebounding. He was boxing out. And even if he didn't get the rebound, he was clearing out like two or three guys so that the guards could come in and rebound. It was just, it was so neat to see after so many years of, of, of not having that guy. They're just yeah. having the guy that thinks that I'll, I'll just jump higher than everybody else and grab this rebound, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it's almost like a gang rebounding. Yeah. Um, which is what you know, Michigan State used to do a lot under Izzo. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I know that team last night we haven't talked about, it, but they were like known for being a really good rebounding team. Yep. I think their coach had said it like after the game, like, hey, we got out rebounding. That's something that doesn't normally happen to us. Like, we didn't expect even playing yeah. Duke to get out rebounded like that. And we, crushed them on it what was it uh 44 to 25 mm-hmm. rebounding edge yeah, yeah they're a big mid-major team i mean they are yeah. a big team for being a mid-major and they just you know duke really took it to them on the boards which was you know great to see i mean and and like i think uh like you said earlier dustin i mean you know filipowski has 12 rebounds but then you've got roach with six mm-hmm. um you know proctor had four uh, Grandison had five Blake's had three. I mean, it's just a lot of that is they're, they're the second guy going to the ball, but you know, it's because young is clearing people out. Yep. Yeah. I wonder if we, how much of that we lose and what we gain when lively returns because lively is obviously a much better athlete than young, but he does not have that bulk. Right. Yeah. It, it's going to be interesting because I, I, I always thought Young was coming in to be a, um, you know, just kind of a backup. I mean, kind of like the Theo John role last year. And he has been a lot better than I think a lot of people expected him to be. Um, again, it's Jacksonville, it's Fayetteville State, but he was effective against Houston too. Um, yeah. Yep. I still believe the, the best lineup is, you know, going to end up being Proctor, Roach, Whitehead. Uh, Mitchell and Lively, right there um, with you. Yeah, yeah. But then I think Young comes in and just he allows Mitchell to be that elite motor rebounding guy. Um, I think you can play Young beside Lively um, and really be a good rebounding team with Mitchell and Lively beside him. Um, essentially, you would have when Young's in there. I wonder if they don't play Lively similar to the Filipowski role, which is you know maybe moving around a bit more just because of his ability to move. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be interesting to see too, because now we, if, if Lively's ready to go, then we have like four high quality options for those two spots down there, um, which really gives us a different look. And, and I think, and I need to clear this up. John, do you know, um, apparently Young has two years of eligibility left. So is the Correct. plan for him to potentially stay again? Or is this kind of like understood that it's just going to be here a year or is that still up in the air? Yeah, I think the plan for him is to stay because if you look after this year, the ex- expectation is Lively's gone. Um, next year, they did not recruit a center. Um, you know, Sean Stewart, people talk about he could play a small ball five, but, um, and then in Baco, that he's, he's a four all day. They didn't recruit a center next year. Um, so they would have young, probably Filipowski and then Reeves. Um, that's, you know, that, that's pretty good depth. Uh, but yeah, the, the expectations that he's going to stay, he's in a two year program as a, as a graduate student and he does have two more nice. years. So, I mean, and I, 
I don't think the NBA is going to come calling for somebody nope. who distinctly plays below the rim. <laughs> but yeah. you never know. Yeah. Um, well, and it's good insurance too, because there's a lot of talk, like really all summer and since he committed about Filipowski, is he going to be a three, four year guy, two year guy? Is he going to be a one and done? He shot up the rankings. Then we kind of heard that maybe he was like struggling a little bit, but if he's able to even do anything like he was doing last night and turned, if he's shooting four or five threes a game, like that's, he's going to get some first round looks. He is, but I think you, I think, and, and I got killed on our message boards for this, but. Um, you know, this team is all about potential, um, short and long-term, you know, people are just on old Tyrese Proctor's a lottery pick. No, he's not. Um, he could be, but I mean, I, I was told directly before the season, they think he's coming back for a sophomore year because it's an adjustment period. And, you know, Filipowski's the same thing. You saw a kid last night. Yeah. He'll get drafted somewhere. But he could be an elite, elite guy coming out after a second year where he's yep. the focal point. I mean, you saw last night, he still needs, um, you know, he still needs to, to work on some things. He needs to get stronger, needs to get faster, um, needs to be able to adjust. And he's going to, it's going to be interesting to see him against big time front lines when they go out to Oregon in a couple of days. So. But yeah, that, to answer the question, yeah, Ryan Young is expected back. Filipowski's expected back. Uh, and then they obviously Reeves, which was interesting last night, him playing. But um, yeah, they're, they're going to have three centers next year, plus a bunch of small forwards and power forwards. Yeah. And if last night was any indication, I can certainly see how Proctor would end up coming back. I think it might end up being a little bit up and down for him. You know, maybe that was just nerves, but there's some issues there. Well, the comparison I make, and it's I, I'm not saying they're the same player because it's obviously he's not. I remember Jason Williams as a freshman, mm -hmm. and he was just there were moments you're going, Oh my, look at this guy. I mean, he's the he's the greatest thing on earth. And then there were moments where you'd look at him going, What is he thinking? Um I, I think Proctor's gonna be a lot like that. I think he's just gonna be up and down all year. Um I still think his best position is with the ball in his hands. Yep. And I don't think he's going to get that with Roach. But I think next year he could literally be the point guard on a very, very, very good team. Yep. Um, so that's just my opinion, but we'll see no, how it goes. Yeah. I, I would agree with that too. And I was even saying it last night of I think he struggles to like when he's playing off ball and he gets the ball of like, okay, do I do I take a shot now? Is it my turn to go? Versus if he has the ball for, you know, 30 minutes a game in his hands, he's constantly kind of dictating whose shot is it, who now it's my time to go. Um, and I think he kind of got a little bit in between of, you know, do I go mm -hmm. now? Does it my turn to, to score? What do I do? Uh, so hopefully, you know, it's still a long season. There's plenty of time to, <clears throat> for those guys to figure, figure that out. But it's interesting too. I mean, you know, he's playing alongside the quote, the point guard, but, but let's remember Jeremy Roach hasn't been the point guard for more than, eight or nine games in his career. I mean, the run to the final four and then, and then what else? I mean, you know, he didn't put, he was on and off as a freshman uh, on and off as a sophomore, got hot in the tournament. Thank goodness. And then now all of a sudden he's being asked to step into this hugely amplified role. And so, you know, it's, it, there's some interesting uh, dynamics there too, because, you know, he's going to have the ball in his hands, but, you know, how does that affect Proctor? How does it affect Blake's? 
it's just going to be interesting to watch. But there are so many pieces on this team. Yeah. And how comfortable and how's it going to affect Roach, too? Because even last night, he looked kind of his most comfortable, almost not playing that point guard role and just kind of being a gunner a little bit, like looking for a shot, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, which is kind of what I want. You know, that last night was the Roach that I thought we were going to see against Fayetteville State. He was kind of definitely deferred a lot more, was getting guys involved. But I think that version of Roach... Mm-hmm. Where he's just hunting shots, he's getting, he's being aggressive, he's driving, he's shoot, he's probably not going to shoot that well from three consistently, um, but being that kind of guy, he looked like he expected it to go in though. Yeah, especially that first that. one, he uh, yeah. caught oh, he the trailer there. Yeah. yeah, he knew he that walked was it. it in, and then and then he started barking to old buddy, and yeah. so that's one thing I wanted to bring up. You know, I love Jeremy, um, and as somebody that likes to talk a little trash on the court, man, he. You can tell sometimes when he starts getting out, he starts talking and then he, you know, last night he, he backed it up. I mean, he, but then the guy goaded him to a easy, like a three point foul, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, but either way, I don't think they ended up, he didn't end up taking free throws. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a free throw. I think, but he, I was going to be pissed if it was. It was so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a veteran move, but it was, you know, pretty cheap. That's one thing I did want to kind of follow up on. You guys were talking about Shire on the on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He called one timeout in the first half, and I never I, I saw him like he was constantly engaged, constantly talking to his guys. I don't think I saw him like really go after an official once. Like there was not one timeout where you know the timeout's called and the head coach walks to the middle of the court just to like berate the officials while the assistants take over the X's and O's. It was just, it's an interesting dynamic in the way that's changed. And it's, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about preseason with, there's a different feeling around the team in the sense of the way the coach engages. And, you know, it's because he's only what, 10 or 12 years older than most of these kids. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see, um, not, not good or bad. Just, it was interesting to me. Um, the, the way he was so engaged, he didn't get too high. He didn't get too low. Very competitive the entire way. But I mean, like with Filipowski, when he made that, he made like a bad rebound and literally coughed it up and gave him a layup. Shashevsky would have just fl- just flayed whoever did that. And you know, Shire's just kind of like, you know, lets the guy know he did something and says, "Look, come on, let's go." It's just it's a different approach and. I'm not trying to highlight it as good or bad. I'm just highlighting it because it's the first time we've seen it in my lifetime because Krzyzewski's been the only coach we've ever had. Well, and it worked too, right? Like right. after that, like I said, Flip started manhandling rebounds and got a double-double. Whereas, you know, Coach K, you get into that, let me pull this guy and you might break his confidence. Some guys just react different. I think, you know, not to bring up Joey Baker, but I feel like we we broke his confidence probably pretty early on by snatching him out after a couple of missed shots and then he's snake bit you know scared to shoot well in fairness though we we did you know have that syracuse six minutes that just changed the season <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally worth it uh, never forget yeah that's uh yeah that's r.i.p um, red shirt yeah i know that's ugh. well what did you think about was reeves you know we've talked about i guess it's been in Thrown around the internet circles, was Reeves expected to redshirt um, this year? Was that like official kind of talk, or did 
Yeah, that was official kind of talk. Um, he came okay. to Duke. He came to Duke with the expectation that he was going to redshirt, and then okay. he would have four years of eligibility afterwards. Um, you know, after the blue-white scrimmage, um, he looked very good in that. Mm-hmm. Um, he did not play much at all in the Houston scrimmage. Uh, he didn't get on the court actually until after they did the 32 minutes of like the actual rotation stuff. Um, you know, he, I don't think, did he play against Fayetteville State? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Double minutes. At the very yeah. end. Yep. And, but apparently he's had conversations with him, his parents, and, and the program, and he was good with it. Um, that being said, I, my, my contention still goes back to, I don't see where he plays this year. I yeah. mean, I, I realize he looked like the second coming of, you know, Lou Alcindor and everybody else in the blue white game, but he's not going to play over lively. I don't think he plays over Ryan young. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he plays over Mark Mitchell because Mitchell can play everything from three through five. Mm-hmm. So where does he fit in? Because I mean, there's only so many minutes and, you know, let's be honest. Lively can play the four. Fine. Young can play the five. Lively and Lively and Filipowski can switch, you know, four or five minutes, like I said. But like I said, that's, that's three guys for two positions. I guess he could be the second backup center, but I just don't see where. Maybe John's betting on somebody's leg falling off midway. Yeah, or, or flashbacks of 2004 Final Four against Connecticut and our entire front line fouls out. And here comes Christian Reeves <laughs> to save the day and shut down Okafor. I mean, yeah. presum- presumably Lively's going to play eventually. So, I mean, I, I guess if he Friday. just... Yeah, so there you go. Well, Josh, I bet Christian Reeves wouldn't have gave up an eight-point lead in 58 seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was that's still... I, I, to Reeves' credit, I mean, he looked a lot he had a lot of the same um, attributes that Mark Mitchell did, just a motor that does not stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, his his putback was, you know, missed a couple bunnies, but, you know, fought to get the rebound, immediately went back up, kept the ball high. I, I mean... I've yet to see him miss a free throw. I think he's three for three. Four yeah. Four for four or something like that. Yeah, Duke, hey. was actually, Duke was actually not good at the free throw. No, nah, I think we were night. like seven, seven of, of 11. 11. Yeah. 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 That's... Craps. It's weird, but... Then I'm looking at the box score and I'm looking at three pointers. And I mean, you look at it and Proctor missed all four of his. Grandison missed all three of his because he wasn't in the corner. He was in the high wing. Yep. <laughs> um, and then shoot missed both of his. That right there is that was tough. That's 0 for 9. Yeah. Everyone else was 10 for 20. That's, you know. The, proc- the Proctor and shoot misses felt like nerves to me like they were rushing them because those were wide open looks yeah they were especially with shoot there he just wanted yeah. to score i think oh yeah his his second one was so far off and for mm. as good of a shooter as he is you could tell he was just he was just amped up it was like mm-hmm. that joey baker game a year or so ago against wake forest where shashevsky's in the post game going you know joey we, we want you to shoot but maybe not that much <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, on the positive note, though, the ball movement was still Amazing. still there. Yeah, still. And you could tell that's definitely going to be something I think is going to stick, which I think is going to, you know, we, we've mentioned, you know, off air a little bit, but that 2017 team and some of the similarities when you're missing two top guys, 
I think if the ball movement stays kind of like at the central focus of what we're doing, it's so much easier to integrate those guys because you're trying to just keep it moving. Everyone's getting touches. Um, and I don't think either of those guys are selfish. I think if anything, we're going to have to try to get Derek to be a little bit less or more selfish in, in terms of like getting his shots. Um, but I think that aspect, I mean, some of the passes that we were doing, those that touch pass where Blakes has the ball up top. He tells Proctor to like kind of hit the wing. As soon as Proctor gets the ball, he immediately touch passes it to Flip, who then immediately touch passes a dime to Ryan Young, who gets the finish. And we've seen that on more than one occasion. Um, which to me says that that's something that they're practicing. I don't that think these guys play, have played yeah. enough to where they uh, like are just knowing where each other's at, just off feel. I, I think that they're was doing definitely that. a set play. Yeah. It's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes they, me mad. Sorry, John. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was, I was going to say that came up when Jacksonville was kind of starting to sag off and sit in a zone. Yep. And, you know, years ago, you would see Duke would just ISO it or the ball would just die out on the perimeter mm-hmm. for some kind of three. They were just mature and patient enough to, as you say, start at the top, you know, probe here, probe there, and then a touch pass and go inside. They're just picking apart a zone against a 21 win team from a year ago that returned the entire rotation. I mean, it, it's it's not crazy to think of just how how impressive that was given the setting. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't just like picking it apart from just jacking threes, right? Of just right. like two passes on the perimeter, jack a three, hopefully shoot thirty for you know forty percent of them. It was like Mitchell had some really great actions where he was getting in off cuts, um, Proctor kind of probing in, Filipowski kind of getting some high low stuff. It was very intentional of. I, I guess to me, it just seems like we haven't really seen sets like right. incorporated, like plays incorporated that much. It's kind of just been more that motion ISO type thing. That's what I wanted to bring. That play that you're talking about, we set it up by passing it around the perimeter. That way, when it does go to Proctor on the wing and he's looking to touch pass it to flip at the high post, now Young has his guy on the other side away from the ball, right? So all he's got to do is kind of stand there and wait on it that he's got an easy little layup. And I'm sitting here thinking, why we never do that for Mark Williams? I mean, he could have caught that and flipped it right over his head for an easy dunk, but we didn't run stuff like that. It didn't seem like it, at least to me. I don't remember set mm-hmm. plays kind of like that. You guys actually made a really good point on your last episode where you're talking about, do they pass better because it's just a bunch of guys as opposed to having like, you got the Zion, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Zion, the Bagley. And yeah. I think there's something to that. Um, you know, everyone is equal. And it, this reminds me a lot of the uh, the year Zion was here, that Texas Tech team. They had Jarrett Culver, but they just had a bunch of guys mm-hmm. who were who like knew their role and they were they were effective. And it's, you know, it may evolve. But like I said, it's it's just so refreshing to see a different story starting so early. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and it also helps that we have so many good passers. Like, that's the one thing that, like, I think um, could get flipped to go really high is Shire already seems to have a great understanding of how he wants to use him, utilizing that passing ability. Um, to me, that's Flip's best asset so far that I've seen. Those, like, little quick dumps, mm-hmm. those, like, little bounce passes. I mean, his... his passing's legit. Now, dribbling and driving is maybe not quite there yet, but the passing is elite really to be as big as he is i want to see him in the middle of the zone versus syracuse that's Mm -hmm. kind of the most exciting game for him i think 
I think he's Josh McRoberts. Ooh. Similar. Okay. Josh was a great passer. Yeah. Um, Josh was a good ball handler, though. Real good ball Yeah, handler. he was. I mean, he's yeah. some version of it. But, I mean, he, like I said, the way they use Mason Plumley in Charlotte sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that's going to be dependent, I think, on what. how do they run different sets with Lively at the five as opposed to Young at the five. Um, but it'll it'll be fun to watch. I mean, there's lots of pieces, like you guys said. Well, Lively could stand in the dunker spot there and Flip yeah. could catch it in the middle, and then Lively's going to be able to go up and get it if you throw it high enough. And really, that's his offense. I right. mean, you're not the stuff you're watching Ryan Young do right now. Lively mm-hmm. can't do that. Yeah, he doesn't have yeah. that kind of footwork. He doesn't have. He's not a back to the basket guy. He doesn't have the strength either. Ryan Young will no. just knock somebody off their spot. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Do you still do you still call it the dunker spot if Ryan Young's standing in it though? <laughs> it's in the layupper spot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Old man at the Y spot. Yeah. 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 I guess we'll kind of go ahead and transition out of this and, and start our preview. Before that, just something we've kind of started doing this season is we've kind of been doing a player spotlight for each game. Um, oddly enough, we've been talking about him, so I guess I'll just go ahead. For me, it was Ryan Young in this game. Um, 12 points, perfect from the floor, and kind of like what Shire was saying of, you know, part of what I was trying to tell Ryan is like, dude, keep going. Like, every time you're looking to score, like, you're getting points, like, put a body on and put these dudes under the basket. Um, but I think it just goes to show like what we've been trying to do is ball movement, passing, everyone's trying to make the extra pass. Um, and I didn't have a whole lot of expectations. I wasn't super familiar with Ryan when he came in. Um, I kind of had, I guess I'd kind of lumped him into the catchings and John's kind of group together with those three. But to me, he stands out as even when Lively comes back, I don't see how you're not going to play nine guys now. Um, and I don't see how you're going to just completely get young off the court. Now, you know, he's not probably going to play 25 minutes, but I think there's 12, 10 to 15 minutes there for him just based on his work ethic, um, what he's able to do, able to throw that different look out there. Uh, so for me, I'll go ahead and give a shout out to Ryan Young for my player spotlight. Shu, who you got this week? Uh, this week, I'm going to go with a fellow Southpaw, Mark Mitchell. Um, started off the Shire Lefty. with the <laughs> started off the Shire with a with a nice uh, alley oop dunk, um, and then just didn't quit from there. Um, getting to the free throw line, I think this guy's gonna that's gonna be one of his best attributes is you know just putting pressure on defenses and and uh, hopefully fouling out some front lines um, and making his free throws. Um, the shot from deep. A little bit to be desired. He he can make it. He made that one from the corner. Um, two from two from the corner. I think. Two from the yep. corner. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, look, I have no problem if he if he plays the way he played um, every possession. If it, that's what we're going to get night in and night out, take on big fella. I don't I don't care if you miss him by five feet and Jacob has to catch it and lay it up, or you make him. It doesn't matter to me. You you earn those. So, um, shout outs to to Mark. Yeah, and the passing for for Mark too. Like I think one of my favorite plays of the game is where he drives hard and he kicks it, and we swing it from like Roach to Grandison to Blake's who hits that three at the top of the corner or at the top of the key. Glad you brought that up. I mean, that was an out of bounds play, um, which I don't know if you guys remember it, but Roach has the ball out of bounds. He misses flip immediately. I think it was Blake set a back pick and, and gets flip open for an alley because you can hear the crowd go 
um, and then he just passes it. He passes it into Blake's, gets it out. You know, we roll it around the perimeter. Mark drives, kicks it to Roach in the corner. He passes up a good shot for three, gives it to Grandison, who passes up another good shot for three to Blake's on the top of the key. Great shot for three, wide open. Play the initial, the initial defender messed up. Mark Mitchell was able to get him in the air by uh, shot faking. Yep, it's like. I know that it's Mark Mitchell's first game, but there's still got to be some scouting on him, right? Like, let him take that. Yeah, because he got two. He got another one where he right, went in yeah. for a, for a right-handed layup. So um, I wonder if he's going to be able to sell that less well as the year goes on. Yeah, it's a good point. Mark Heyman, though. Mark Heyman. True. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bro, right, well, who'd you have? Yeah, I got Kyle Filipowski. We already covered a lot of my points, to be honest, <laughs> but. A couple things I did want to highlight were uh, the defense. I'm really impressed with that. Um, he did not have a reputation as being a good defender, but he surprised me with his mobility. And I thought we looked better defensively whenever he was in the game. And then the other thing I wanted to highlight was the ability to shoot off motion. You know, uh, you know, there's some bigs who can hit a wide open three, like the, the Carters or Bagleys of the world. Um, but those were mostly unguarded shots. Filipowski, though, he hit one as the trailer, and then yep. he hit that other one, um, which was one of my favorite plays of the game, where he kind of curls and he catches it in motion right beside the Duke bench and just fires it up. Uh, you know, and the whole bench was really pumped for him, and he had a huge <laughs> grin on his face. But to me, that was really impressive. That looked it looked so natural. Yep. Um, from a guy that large to be able to shoot while moving. Yeah, because the trajectory and just like the shots a little bit flat. Like I think right. one of the threes he met was kind of flat because it just has to be. If you're taking mm-hmm. a jump shot at seven one or seven foot. It's, yeah, when he bricks it, it looks ugly because it just dies on the back dies, rim there. Yep. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean he's effective at it. But the shot looks good. I mean, the mm-hmm, form, yeah. especially just his standstill shot, looks great. Um, and one thing before then we'll get out of here or we'll get out of this and we'll transition. Um, we talked about the ball movement, and I'm curious too, John, you can chime in here as well. Um, it just kind of like dawned on me that some of my favorite Duke plays that showcase ball movement are from John's playing era. I think there's one, it's like 08 or maybe, you know, 709. We're on a fast break, and I think McClure touches it, no one touches it, Shire touches it, and then Henderson gets it for the layup. Like, all you're talking about the days. Maryland game, the yeah, 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 everyone was... touches it. But we yeah. had a lot of those plays during those like two or three years where you had those guys together. Um, I'm wondering if some of that is just John tapping back into that that aspect of sharing the ball. I was going to say earlier that this team, it might seem like a weird comparison because uh, the 08 team was small, um, but they weirdly kind of remind me of the 08 team, just kind of a by-committee team where you're going to have a lot of people average like 11 to 15 points, a lot of passing, great pace. Yeah, I think Demarcus Nelson like right. led the team with like fourteen points yeah, or something depth, playing depth six two, two yeah. center. Yeah. Um <laughs> can, can I throw in my my second favorite play of the game was probably uh right before half. We were trying to milk the clock down. We think it was Proctor misses a three and and flip gets the offensive rebound and you think, okay, we're just gonna hold for the last shot. And Jeremy Roach says, Nah, I'm just gonna take this three and can it real quick. Shire yeah. they asked him about it in the press conference. I don't know if you guys caught that, but he was he chuckled. He was like, "I'm glad he made it because I was 
I think Shire was like, what are you doing? And yep. then it went in. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of the, the moment when you're like, is he really our point guard? Should a point guard <laughs> be doing that? Shouldn't he have a little bit of better awareness? I mean, he was feeling it. Yeah. And, you right. know, but that could have easily been a six point swing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's get out of here and start to talk about a little bit about the season preview. Um, obviously, we'll talk, I guess we'll jump right in. And we've already played one game, so we're 1-0. and We got, uh, I think it's South Carolina Upstate coming in Friday. And then I think for a lot of us, the season really kind of gets going with the Champions Classic. Um, Kansas, national champion, um, that's going to be a big one. And Indianapolis. So I'm really looking forward to that one to, to begin with. Um but as we look at the schedule, let's talk a little bit about record predictions. John, you did an article a while back, um, and I think not, it's, it's kind of, I guess, a cop out. But I think your final prediction was around twenty-four and seven, and to me, that seems about right. Um, but we'll, we'll just kind of toss it around and see where everyone's at. Shoot, just kind of first looks at the schedule here. If you're just taking kind of a, a crapshoot prediction. Um, what are you thinking here? What are you looking at? What's going to be the the overall record heading into the tournament for you? Okay, well, uh, sorry to tell John, I didn't read that one, um, so I'm not copying you. But I had 25 and 7. Maybe I was accounting for us making the PK85 championship and John wasn't. I don't know. Um, but I've got us like a 10-2 non-conference record. I'm actually a little bit more optimistic that we take care of business in the Champions Classic. We're I think we still have the best record of the other three teams throughout the Champions Classic, right? Um, so I, I had us losing possibly the championship game, PK-85 to Gonzaga. Um, and then I think that Iowa game in, in Madison Square Garden, just because all the travel that's going to be uh, doing back and forth at that time, that one's going to be tough. And then I had us around like 15-5 and five in the ACC, so... Um, I had a 25 and seven regular season. Bro. Yeah. I'm a little bit more pessimistic, not like drastically. So, um, I had looked through the ACC schedule and kind of circled what I thought would be the losses. And I had us at seven losses in the ACC. And I think we can get out of the non-conference with one loss. So that's where I'm kind of being optimistic on that. Cause I could easily see us dropping two non-conference games. So, that's eight total losses on the season. I think we are able to enter the um, NCAA tournament as like a three seed. Okay. Yeah. Um, and John, what about for you? Are you kind of still sticking with the 24 and seven? Is that kind of where you still see things or has anything changed to maybe um, alter that? Yeah, it's, it, it's there plus or minus one. Um, you know, I, I think the PK 80 thing is, I, I think they'll be fine against Oregon state. I think they will be fine against Florida or Xavier. Um, though that'll be tough. That'll be kind of like that Auburn game in, in Maui a couple years ago, right before they played Gonzaga with Zion, uh, where it's just, you know, it's a veteran team, a power five team. It'll be tough. Um, I, I don't think they beat Gonzaga this time. Um, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but I, I don't see it. Um, and then, you know, you got to remember they're going to be in Oregon that Sunday. They turn around and fly home to play Ohio State. Um, I think they're better than Ohio State this year. I thought they were better last year, but 
<laughs> I definitely think they're better this year. Yeah. Um, then they get Boston College at home. I don't think Boston College is any kind of risk. Um, going up against Iowa and Madison Square Garden, that's a really quick turnaround again. Um, you, you know, you play Boston College Saturday afternoon. Um, you probably travel set Sunday or Monday. Um, the Maryland Eastern Shore is not a big deal. And looking at the ACC, um, you know, I hate to say it, you can probably pencil a loss at NC State just because. Just because it's it's at NC State. Um, you know, there's a, there's a couple we were talking about it off air, but there's a Saturday Monday flip. Um, they play Miami in Durham at noon on Saturday, and then on Monday night they go to Virginia Tech. Um, Miami's going to be tough. Uh, just because the way Larinaga coaches, um, Virginia Tech, it's always tough to play there. Um, so that's something to watch out for. And then there is a brutal stretch in February, which is we we're talking about off air. Saturday night, you get North Carolina at home, turn around and go to Miami, go to Miami on Monday, and then turn around and fly back from Miami and go up to Virginia on Saturday. That's just, that's a brutal three game stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Miami Miami one especially is like a schedule loss to me. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. So, yeah, you know, I could see fourteen and six in the ACC. Um, I, I could see you know fifteen and five in the ACC. Um, a lot of it's it's just going to be interesting to see. But yeah, I I still think twenty four and seven is reasonable, uh, which would get them about a three or four seed, and. I, I still believe from everyone I've talked to starting uh, back in the summer, you know, I think this team is going to have bumps in the road. Um, but I think come March, they're going to be a contender. I, I've been bullish on this team the entire time. Um, for the first time in a long time, I don't think they're going to peak in the Champions Classic. Um, <laughs> I, I think they'll be playing their best basketball towards the end of the season because they'll finally figure out who they are. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of right there with y'all, you all. Um, I think I was just looking. Tim Palm kind of agrees. He's going 22 and seven, but that's because he's not accounting for any of those PK 80 game or the Phil Knight games other than the Oregon State, the guaranteed game. Um, you know, I think ACC, I'm a little bit higher on our chances than I probably was just because, again, I'm just not sure how good the conference really is. There's not a whole lot of teams that I'm sold on. Um, I do like Virginia Tech a lot. Um, you know, obviously Carolina and Virginia are up there. Uh, but we maybe this will be different with Shire, but we've just always played so well against Virginia that, that they just never scare me. Um, but then you got some really kind of bad teams too. You know, Louisville's not good. Uh, Boston College isn't good. Pitt's not good. Georgia Tech's awful. Um, so, you know, there's opportunities, but then again, it's, it's the ACC. So we're going to take some bumps there. I, I guess coming into this season, um, I was not quite that high. My expectations were kind of, you know, let's just be competitive, top four finish in the conference. Um, you know, anything outside of the first round is going to be bonus. And now I'm starting to get a little bullish on this team, considering that we still have two guys to reintegrate. And so if that goes well and smoothly, I think we could really, I think we could threaten to win the conference again. I think we could like absolutely threaten to win the conference. I'm not super sold on Carolina as the number one team. Um, they got a lot of, they got a lot of experience, but they also, they are who they are. You know, these yeah. guys, they're going to, these are the same guys that was there the last three years. Um, I don't know how much better they get. 
I don't think Nance is a replacement for Manic. No, Manic had a not a fluky season, but he just he had a, a ceiling season, right? Like right, the, yeah. for the last twenty games of the year, he played at the absolute best that he could possibly have played. Um, and credit to him, you know, shouts to him for doing that. But I don't think Nance fits that same way. Um, no, he's more of a five. And then the other thing is he his volume on threes is like a third of what Mannix was. Right. Um, I, I think they're UCLA from two years ago. Yep. Yeah, I like, I like that too, comparison. Yeah. where they kind of made that just run out of nowhere and then they kind of come back to earth and they're still a good team, but they're four or five seed, you know, they just kind of sweet 16 kind of seed. I think um, they're, yeah, they're good. Yeah. They're, they don't have any depth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you watch them against UNC Wilmington? Last yeah, they got yeah, they rebounded. Awful. They, they got rebounded. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Baycott's fine, but I mean, R.J. Davis, and I don't know when in the offseason everyone decided that it's like the second coming of Jason Williams and Chris Duhon or whatever, but they're <laughs> not. Um, they're good. Yep. But again, I mean, you know, like I said, they, they had a great run last year. They, you know, they had some luck. They had some execution. Uh, they had some help. And, you know, you tip your cap to them, and that's all well and good. And it's not just sour grapes, but I, I'm not sold on them being some sort of juggernaut that everyone seems to think they're going to be. Um, yeah. Just not. Yeah, what not. happens if they lose to Baylor in the second round there, which easily could have happened? Yeah. Is it anybody, should have happened, I yeah, thought. Right. Is anybody, um, is anybody ranking them number one at that point? No. And, I mean, uh, you know, let's be honest. Their, their Elite Eight game was against St. Peter's. St. Yep. Peter's, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean... As a 15 seed, the only time that's ever happened. They also had absurd three-point shooting luck. Like teams shot like 26% against them or something crazy. Yeah, they. it was, you need to be lucky. You need Mm -hmm. to be good. Yep. And you need to execute. And they did all those things. And and not to have sound like sour grapes, but I'm sorry, the better team did not win in New Orleans. (laughs) Um, I thought Hubert Davis did a very, very, very good job. But I also think he didn't change his strategy one iota from the Cameron game, nope. and Duke didn't adjust. And and another, we've talked about how Roy kind of got lucky a couple times with people being injured, like getting you're getting injured, and then they start playing Danny Green, and that unlocks them, right? Yeah, we've, we've talked about that. Dawson Garcia coming off that team allowed Manic <laughs> to just free yep. reign, right? So once that happened. Right. He became their he became their leading scorer by the end of the year. Yep. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a fun fun story about how that went down. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear I'll, that sometime, but we'll, we'll save talk, that one. Yeah. We'll take we'll talk about it all fair. Let's just say that uh, if you guys thought Chris Humphreys' uh, dad was interesting, uh, there's something about crazy dads from Minnesota. <laughs> okay. Yeah, nice. Uh, something in the water up there. Yeah. <laughs> allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Josh, just going back, going back to what we talked about, like this, this, con- you know, in years past, we can always expect, like John said, to lose at NC State, right? That was a basically a, a foregone conclusion. And there was always like a, just a random January game that we dropped. Do we see that happen, that trend with Shire? Is it a, is it a new day where I was looking oh, at January this- swoon, right? Right. Something like that. I'm looking at the schedule and I see at Virginia Tech and I think, okay, like John said, Blacksburg, tough place to play. Probably a probably an L. Um, at Miami, kind of same thing. And then at Carolina. But other than those three, I, I look at the other games as if you show up and do what we're supposed to do, we should win. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think the issue becomes like if you happen to drop one of those games that you probably shouldn't drop, especially at home, right? Like let's say you lose one of those games at home that you probably shouldn't and then you have that tough game on the road like right after it. I think that's where it gets kind of dicey. Like let's say Miami comes into Cameron and wins on that Saturday. Then that Monday you're going up to Blacksburg to play Virginia Tech, which is just death for Duke the last, you know, seven or eight years um, up there. So if that happens, then you make a drop two, you know, or if you lose, if you lose to a Wake Forest at home and then you got Carolina coming in right behind them, then it could snowball in that way. I don't think we're going to hit the wall that we have hit in the past just because I think, I think we're going to play eight or yeah. nine guys and we're just going to yeah. play hard and we're going to move the ball. And I don't think we're going to get as stagnant as we have. Um, and I'm, I don't see too many of these teams that we're playing that are just going to be elite, elite defensive teams that can mm-hmm. just like, because I think that's what could hang us up. Not so much the um, our defense, but our offense could get maybe spluttered a little yeah. bit if we're playing elite defenses. Especially um, if Whitehead is not really all the way back. Right. You know, if you don't that, have that's, really, that's really going to kind of determine the ceiling of this team. I think you need... I mean, obviously, Mitchell's going to put up points. Um, Roach is going to put up some points, but you know who who is who is that guy who can you know give you twenty five on a night when nobody else can score? Right, and I talked if that's about not Virginia. Whitehead. I don't know who it is. Yeah, Mar-Mitchell. yeah. and th- and that's Mar-Mitchell. how we win against Virginia. Right? <laughs> Possibly that's how we own Virginia, and so if we don't have right. that. And those kind of slugfest, low possession when it gets well, Ryan tired. Young is about to crush Virginia. And we just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. That's why I'm I'm looking at the pieces and I'm like, we can play fast. We can play slow. Um, big, small. Big, small. I mean. I was going to say, there's also the human element here. Yeah. True. I mean, yeah, you can play big. You can play fast. You can play slow. But what happens if those guys who need to play those different styles haven't played in two or three games? I mean. Yeah. You know, it, it's not, unfortunately, that's, that's always the variable, right? Right. So, I mean, like we were talking about off air, like, you know, Christian Reeves or, you know, plays two minutes, not going to redshirt now, right? But it, let's say he hasn't played in two months and all of a sudden he's on the court for meaningful minutes. I mean, you know. Well, that's where going nine deep could really help. I mean, I, I don't see Reeves or shoot getting minutes, but it does. It does seem like everybody else is going to play. Yeah, like I don't see yeah. how you keep. I don't see how you keep Blake's off the court. No. Oh no his his defense was stellar. I mean he yeah he he's some like the love child of Demarcus Nelson and Jordan Goldwire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean just you know he's very and he good. looks ripped, Jake. He looks like thick well, out there and, now too. Yeah, but he's it's a lot like the Mark Mitchell thing. You know, people keep acting like. Mark Mitchell's some sort of like revelation. He was a top five or seven guy in the class mm-hmm. until he got hurt. And then he got hurt for a year and a half and just, and then he played in Kansas. It's like, you know, it's not Jimmy. like he was in. Yeah. And he did that with, you know, no real exposure. And then, you know, people talk about Blake's and it's like, he was a top 100 recruit who didn't play a senior season. And I mean, the guys at Blair Academy were saying, you know, all the Northeast schools were just thrilled that nobody had heard of this kid. And had he gone to the usual showcases Blair goes to, I mean, the national guys at 24 seven were saying he could have been a top 75 guy. I mean, he's, he's a player. Um, it, it, 
Reeves even. Yeah. Yeah, Ye was he was not only very highly ranked, but then he went to Oak Hill and just kept getting better and better and better. And all of a sudden his trajectory has gone from, yeah, you're gonna redshirt to yeah, you're not staying in college four years. <laughs> right. That's no. why I'm okay with him not redshirting. Yeah. Because I don't think we were gonna get four years out of him anyway. Yeah. The issue the only issue I have though is if we if we burn the red shirt and we all kind of agree that he's probably the tenth or the eleventh man and he's not getting much time, like if you're gonna red shirt, you know you're not getting much time, right? So you've mm-hmm. accepted it, you're just committed to development, your expectations are like I'm gonna be in there with Will, getting stronger, getting bulkier, working on my game. Now the expectation might be like, Oh, I can contribute and play. If that doesn't happen, do we see a transfer or like that, you know, that potentially could be in the pipeline. But, you know, that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, I guess. One thing I wanted to shout out a kid in my Twitter chat, I think it was Dylan Tate. He called Jalen Jail, like J-A-I-L-E-N, Jalen, because he's locking people up. Nice. I I like that. I like that nickname. Yeah. Yeah. He's also diving for loose balls out of bounds. Um. Yeah, he yeah, did 30. have that nice that 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 save, right? Like the Broadman, yeah. like full out. Yep. Yeah. Shouts to Jalen. Jalen. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, let's get into a little bit of like a kind of individual predictions here. So we'll do leading scorer. We'll do rebounder, most assist, and most block shots. So leading scorer, I guess we'll assume Whitehead's going to be back in the next two weeks or so, two three weeks. Um, who do we have? I guess I can go first on this one. Um, I want to say Whitehead, but I'm not 100% sure what that's going to look like. So I'm going to go with Roach. Um, I'm hoping that he's going to be this aggressive version of himself. Um, I think he's going to play as much as he can handle. Um, and so, so I'll go with Jeremy, you know, pull for the upper class and pull for the guy coming back, go for the captain. What about you all, Raul? Who you think is going to lead the team? Uh, give me Mark Mitchell. Oh, I like it. You know, just based on what we've seen so far. I, I actually can. think I asked you guys a couple months back after, you know, some of those uh, scrimmage highlights were coming out. Does Mark Mitchell have a chance to be the leading scorer? So I was already kind of on that train and I haven't seen anything to, you know, diminish that. The fact that he draws free throws so yep. well could be huge. I was going to say that. he needs to be hitting eight to 10 free throws a game. Um, That's a good pick. I, I'm, it's, it's tough because we mentioned it earlier there's no Zion, there's no Tatum. I kind of feel like there'll be three guys around like 15 points a game, like in the 16 to 14. So it's, I, I, I'll, you went with Roach, you went with uh, Mitchell, I'll, I'll go with Dariq. Um, but I think they're going to kind of be, it's just going to be three guys around like 14, 15, 16, and nobody really separates. Yeah, yeah. All right, John. Well, make the case for Jaden shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, maybe in three years, <laughs> but no, I I think it's going to be Mitchell. Um, and I agree with what Dustin said. If Mitchell is the leading scorer, I think it's going to be something like you know thirteen, fourteen a game, and then like four other guys are right around there. Um, every night, you're going to have a different leading scorer. But I think the thing with Mitchell that's going to help him is, you know. When Lively's in there, he can move to the four. When they're playing two bigs, he can play the three. I can tell you, um, based on like we, we've talked about it before, um, back when they did the TJ Power thing. I mean, one of the conversations I had that day was, 
you know, is Mark Mitchell going to be back next year? Because you guys are certainly recruiting a lot of power forwards. And it was absolutely not. Uh, 100% he's gone. Mm. And, you know, I was sitting there going, really? And you, you just see the motor. You see the just the constant putbacks. Like you said, eight, seven or eight free throws a game. I don't think he's going to be like a volume score. He's just going to be crazy efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And, you know, he's, he's just going to live doing that. So I, I think he's going to be the leading scorer for averages. But if you ask me who's going to be the leading scorer on a week to week basis, I'll be stunned if you like look at the cumulative stats and see like the leading score being the same for more than like one or two games at most. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, there'll be a game that. that Jacob will sneak in there, right? Yeah. It'll be a game yeah. that maybe Ryan sneaks in there. Proctor will get hot one game or something, you know, right. it'll just happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, what about rebounds? We got a lot of big guys on this team. We've talked about the rebounding from the guard and the wing positions. Um, obviously, Flip just had the big one with 12, but I, I don't know. I guess for me, I'm, I, I guess I would. Kind of would be a little bit hesitant to just say lively, but I, I guess I'll go with Derek if he's going to kind of be the the anchor down there. Um, you know, I guess Shu, you can start this one out. You seeing anything different, or who are you taking? Well, I mean, I think that's a good logical choice. I'm I want to go with Flip because I want I want lively leaking out. I want, I want easy dunks, but you know, because I know he runs the floor like that, so um, that could go either way. Um, but I'll, I'll go with Flip, you know. I'll grab 12 in his first ever. Yeah, keep going. Keep it up. Yeah, I'm on the I'm on the Flip bandwagon as well. Um, okay. You know, it's probably just recency. I guess it kind of depends on... Okay, so when Lively and Flip are in the game together, do we think that Lively is going to be playing the five defensively or the four? Five. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so that that's going to make a difference for sure. Um, you know, they're both pretty mobile, so that's kind of why I had the question in my mind. Um, you know, because the person who is kind of closer to the basket defensively is going to have more opportunities. But I, I really did like Filipowski's physicality for a freshman, and that's my biggest concern with Lively is he's not – the thickest guy. And I wonder if he's just going to try to out jump people. And that might work because he's an incredible athlete. But yeah. yeah. So give me Filipowski. Yeah. I kind of wish I would have hedged too, but I'll let John go ahead. You got it. Someone different or who are you going with? It's lively. I okay. don't think it's going to be close. I yeah. mean, he is, you know, you, Rob mentions, you know, he's, he, he's not the thickest guy. If you've ever seen Gumby or stretch Armstrong, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and imagine that that build running like a gazelle, I mean, if he stays healthy, he's flip got 12 rebounds last night because you had Ryan Young and the other guys clearing out for him. Um, in that same role, Lively does just as much. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, the question's going to be, like you guys said, you know, if it's Lively and Flip playing together, it's going to be a different kind of rebounding than if Lively's beside Young or if Lively's beside Mitchell. Um, but, yeah, he's an elite. Lively's biggest contributions are, to me are going to be rebounding, dunks, and blocks. I mean, yeah. and that's his game, and that's what they they recruited him to do. And I, I just think you're going to love Lively's motor, just like you love Mark Mitchell's motor, just like you love Ryan Young's. But 
you know, Mark Williams had a motor and was an elite shot blocker. Lively's a better rebounder. Okay. Um, yeah. And he's the same level of shot blocker. I mean, it's just, but I think Lively's a better athlete. Yeah. And I expect Lively to also get a lot of offensive rebounds too. So I'm guessing yeah. I'm factoring that in of him just kind of hanging around down there. Um, getting three or four of those a game. And I don't think, and John, maybe you can chime into this. I don't think they're going to have Lively sell out for the block shot quite as much as they were doing for Mark Williams, right? Like Mark was selling out on every block attempt. And I don't well, know exactly how they're going to do that. But Mark Mark had to learn not to sell out on every block. Yeah. That was one thing for him. I mean, and you know, when the light finally went on at the end of his freshman year, it's because he wasn't just flailing around. Um, I, I think... And again, I, I know it sounds like I'm bagging on, you know, the old, old regime versus the new, but I, I just really think there's going to be a lot more instruction and a lot more X's and O's that are going to help this mm-hmm. team, these young guys than we've seen in the past. And some of that goes to John's style. A lot of it goes to the fact that none of these guys are 1000% NBA ready. Right. And so, you know, anyway, to, to the question, I think it's going to be lively. I would say Mitchell's going to factor in there, but I just think he's going to be one of those guys who is like young, finding a body, you know, tipping balls out, um, you know, competing for a rebound. But I think Lively will be the guy who like ends up grabbing it. Yeah. And with Mitchell, it depends on what position he plays too. Like if we're going to play him with two bigs, the three, he's not going to have quite as much opportunity. Now, if we're exactly. going to go to some of those smaller lineups, th- those can be the games uh, where he grabs 10, 12 rebounds when he's playing the four. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What about, I guess I was going to go assist next, but since we've kind of talked about it, block shots, is is anyone going anyone other than Lively at this point? I don't think no. so. <laughs> no? Okay. Yeah. So that's How many do you have him for a game? Ooh, two. a game? About two. Two, two. Yeah, two seems reasonable. Picked, yeah, I, I want to say a little bit higher, but yeah, I'll go two, you know, two and some... Some nuggets, maybe two point four, two and a half. You Ooh, know, I don't think okay. he's going to get in the AD territory where well, he's up at four and a half. But Mark was closer to three, but Mark was also a sophomore and probably played more than I think Lively's going to play. Based on the yeah. depth, I don't see Lively playing like I see him in that kind of twenty-eight minute range because that's what you usually get out of freshman bigs, no matter how talented. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about assist? I think this one's a little bit interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a couple options you could go with here. Raul, I'll toss it to you first on this one. Who, who are you taking as the as the assist? You going with Roach, going with Proctor, going with someone else entirely? I think it's going to be Roach for the first half of the year. This is kind of my hope anyway, that Proctor eventually asserts himself as too good not to play point guard. And that's when I think he's going to take over as the leading assist getter. I guess maybe for the full year, Roach might have the higher averages. But by tournament time, I think Proctor is going to be the guy. Nice. Shu, who you got? Uh, pretty much what Rule said, but I'll, I'll go with Roach. Um, he's, he's, he's the vet. He's the captain. Run the ship, you know. Okay. All right. So we've got Roach, got Proctor, John, you going to anybody different or just one of the two lead guards? Yeah, it's interesting. The leading assist guy last night was Jacob Branderson. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I can see 
just that guy who's connecting. I mean, obviously he's not going to do it every game. I, I think you've got to look. I, I like Raul's point that eventually I see Proctor doing it. The question for me is, is Roach going to have such a lead by that point that he doesn't ever like, right. overtake him? But I, I think it's going to be one of those two guards because they're just going to play a ton. I mean, yeah. you know, Proctor was bad last night and he still got 25 minutes. I mean, yep. so yeah. yeah. And even credit to him, like a lot of those shots, like the shots looked okay. You know, he wasn't missing terribly on most of them. Most of them kind of rimmed in and out. Um, he just, I don't think he ever got the rhythm. Like there was a lot of space and time in between each of those shots. It's not like he got any kind of cluster of usage. Um, yeah, the I only guess, thing I really hated was the those back to back turnovers. Yeah, in the in the backcourt there that were just kind of lazy, that was, but especially that one where he just tried to do the lazy kind of hezy crossover and right. he just picked his pocket. Yeah, that was not a good look. Um, yeah, you know, I guess for me, I really just want to just say something crazy, but it's it's just not gonna. It's, it could happen, but we're a year away. I want to see Filipowski lead the league against this guy. Yeah. yeah, I want to see just like full Jokic mode um, over there for Flip. I don't think we're there yet for him. We're probably a year or two away from that, if ever. So I guess I'll just go de facto Roach, but I think Raul, you made a really strong point of to hit the ceiling. I think we need Proctor to kind of take over that job a little bit more um, towards ACC place, so and maybe we'll see. I, I don't think we're going to get anyone that's just the de facto assist guy, right? I don't yeah. think we're going to see a Tyus Jones kind of level. And even Tyus only averaged like six, six and a half. Um, we're definitely not going to see like a Duhon type. Um, you know, I think if it's Roach, it's probably around four, four and a half a game, maybe somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Um, so. Uh, I think Proctor could lead us in um, hockey assists. I don't know if you noticed that last night, but. Yeah. He had mm -hmm. a ton of those. Yeah. Um, well, let's kind of transition a little bit. And we've talked about him a lot already. But so when Wively and Whitehead get back, I guess we're going to kind of assume that the they're both going to be starters or at least project to be starters within a few games of them returning. What is that going to do to to the team dynamics right now? It's really been focused on defense, on ball movement. John, do you think that's going to continue or do you see these guys as more transcendent than that? That's going to demand more of like a higher usage rate, kind of like what we've seen under K and some of these other, you know, big time recruits. No, I don't think they're those kind of players. Um, I think Lively's just going to, like I said, his game is going to be lobs, rebounds, and blocks. Um, Whitehead, you know, the knock on him coming in has been he's a guy who just makes everybody better. You know, he's not as aggressive. He's not that alpha. He's He's got the ability to do it, but he's not that guy. Like, he is a Justice Winslow type mentality. And, you know, I think he'll just, they'll fit seamlessly. I think the only thing that's going to change is the starting lineup. And, you know, like I said, I think Lively's the five. I think Mitchell's the four. And then Whitehead's the three. Proctor and Roach are the one and two. Um, and, you know, I think, I think the hot take would be, I don't think it'll happen this year, but I think the hot take would be that if like Grandison or Filipowski or somebody like that just starts playing so well, they will they would slide in and the question is do they bump proctor or roach and i think depending on when the season is that that could be an interesting question i mean i know jeremy played great last night i've watched him for two years can he do it consistently right and you know i, I don't know if that's the answer i don't know what the answer is there i mean 
you know, I don't think there's a wrong answer. And I don't think they'll ever bench him because I think you, it's hard to bench your captain. But, you know, I also don't think he's ever going to fall off a cliff like Greg Paulus did his senior year. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But I would love this. I, I think it would be a lot of fun to see a lineup of um, Proctor, Whitehead, uh, Mitchell, Filipowski, and Lively. Not a ton of shooting there, obviously. But if Mitchell can hit like we saw last night, if Proctor can, Proctor's shot looks fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Filipowski's shot looks fine. There's a lot of sneaky shooting there. And mm-hmm. that, that's, I mean, that's a huge lineup, but also incredibly versatile. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, lots of fun, fun things to think of. But yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how I see those guys fitting back in. They're, they're going to play a ton. Um, I mean, you're, you're adding two lottery picks in. So they're going to play. Yeah, yeah, and that, rightfully so. And I'm I'm curious too if if maybe bumping Proctor to the bench can maybe help unlock something with him, so that when he comes in, it's like, hey, you're going to be the guy on the ball. Like, but then who do you put in for him? I mean, that's the issue, right? Right now, I guess it would be Grandison, or maybe it I think, would be Whitehead. I don't know. I think it. I think it's Grandison, and then you play Derek at the two because Grandison is a guy who, similar to Nate James, two thousand one. Sit in the corner, hit your threes, connect everybody, make those veteran heady right. plays. Um, yeah. I think that's that could be the lineup you see if Proctor plays poorly. But I also think when you do that, you're putting a lot of faith in Jeremy Roach to be a traditional point guard, and I don't know that that's in his DNA. Well, we've already talked about the schedule a little bit. We've kind of highlighted a few games. Um, you know, I think for the most part, most of us, it's just because it's that early one is the Kansas game. Everyone's looking forward to that. Um, Ohio State, Iowa, anything that we haven't mentioned in terms of the schedule or in terms of what you're just really looking forward to seeing this year. Um, I think for me, it's it's still just dependent on John, on, on Coach Shire and really just looking forward to see kind of how he develops, how he changes when we hit adversity. If we drop two in a row, um, what does that do for him? How does he kind of remotivate the guys? You know, I don't think we're going to see the, um, you know, throw away all the Duke stuff kicked out of the locker room. I think we're going to see a little bit different style from him. I don't know if he's going to come in with the brave heart and the sword on fire and doing all that stuff. Um, but that's kind of what I'm most interested to see is just kind of what that's going to look like. And I'll say one thing else too. Um, to me, it's like, I can't say that I'm proud of John and not his dad. You know, I don't know him like that, but I'm super proud for him of like going back and seeing all these clips of him as a player. And I'm like, you know, that wasn't that long ago. Um, you know, we kind of like went to college at the same time together. So it's really cool, I think, to see that like extenuation of, um, you know, him just representing Duke, representing the brotherhood and being the next coach. So I guess that's about all I got. Raul, Shu, John, anything else that stands out that we haven't? haven't hit on yet i'm looking forward to the first north carolina game yeah just you know after the bad taste of last season like i don't know how we're going to perform but the first one is at home yeah and i would love to get some revenge there um i I, i'm kind of actually hoping that we play xavier in the pk85 uh your boy sean miller's back in his old stomping grounds um I, I think, and I think Xavier won the NIT, right? They beat uh, Henry Coleman and 
and those guys in the in the finals in the NIT, if I remember correctly. So they might have a pretty good team. Um, and just maybe our first, uh, well, I guess it won't be real test because we're playing Kansas. Um, but yeah, that I'm kind of looking forward to that. And obviously the Ohio State game, I won't, I was in the in the building in the shot last year when Zeb Key went for 20. I didn't even know the guy's name and we lost to them. So like some revenge against those guys as well. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit different. I'm looking forward to seeing them lose. <laughs> and that seems that sounds weird. I want to see how Shire handles it. Yeah. I want to sh- like we we've talked about it a little bit with the schedule. Um and it seemed like clockwork the last couple of years with Shashevsky where, you know, Duke would lose one game and then they would compound it with another one. And then I think I remember they went to Louisville one year and they were just down. And then Shashevsky all of a sudden brought out the zone and it was like a, a shot in the arm or, you know, they lost two games and they went to Virginia and then they pulled out a win. Um, and it always seems to be like a complete, not a momentum stopper but it stops it and it reverses it and it pushes them in the right direction. Right. And, you know, I, I'm curious to see how Shire handles that um, because there are going to, I mean, he'll tell you, and he, he said it many times privately, publicly um, in, in several different settings, you know, they do not expect to be a juggernaut right now. Um, right. And, you know, they know there's going to be bumps in the road. Um how do they deal with that? I mean, it's, it's been interesting seeing some stuff that they've started putting out here. Like the, the team just put out something the other day. They're making fun of Jeremy Roach when they were like, you know, the face you make when the coach calls a 6 a.m. fitness session. Um, you know, it's, it, there's some things that have been going on. I, I kind of get the feeling Shire's pushed them a little harder than has been let on. Um, you know, you, you, the famous JJ thing about, you know, they would go to practice and it's like an NBA walk, you know, shoot around or whatever else. Whereas when he was there, it was like, you know, murder sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just curious to see how all the changes kind of affect the team short term and long term. But I, I, like I said, to, to answer the main question, I, I'm interested to see what happens when they face adversity. Um, and I don't think there's, you know, I think he's going to be very level headed about it. Um, you know, if they lose to Kansas, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, if they get to Oregon and they lose to Xavier or they lose to Gonzaga, I don't think it's that big of a deal. And, you know, how does he balance it not being a big deal versus, hey, look, I don't care that we have 11 new guys. I don't care that I'm a rookie. We're Duke. We expect to win. And, you know, how does he deal with that? Um, and, and how is it different from what we've seen? Um, the good news for him, I think there's really no point of reference other than Roach um, for when that happens. Like you're, you're not going to have a, an entire yep. roster going, you know, Oh, well, you know, coach did this way. Shire's doing it this way. I mean, it's, it's his program, brand new team. So that might be an asset. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to see from a fan's perspective, you know, how does he handle this yeah. and how does he, how does he write the ship when that happens? Um, because, you know, it's everyone knows the ready-made narrative is that Duke is going to struggle. I mean, it was already being written for the Jacksonville game. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if you read our message boards, everyone was sitting there going, well, maybe we win by six, maybe we win by seven. You, you, when Jeff Goodman was on our podcast, it was, you know, well, there's just, you know, there's a rookie head coach and there's all these new players and so on and so on. I mean, 
they are chomping at the bit to write that story. And so he knows that the players know it, but what happens when the rubber meets the road and they do have adversity? I, I'm, I'm just interested to follow that. Yeah. I think that's a good point too. Cause I'm, it just made me kind of think as you're saying that, like the Kansas game, obviously we all want <clears throat> to win that, but it could be not the best thing. You know, if we come out and beat Kansas by 15 or 20, Sometimes that's not the best, right? We saw what happened when we just blew out Kentucky and you peak there and then that sets that expectation up and then we kind of get hammered off the mountain. Um, I don't know. You know, what is that going to do? Hopefully it is we, if we lose to a Kansas or Ohio State. I'm just hoping we're not losing to Maryland Eastern Shore at home. Don't let that be the game where things fall yeah, apart. But exactly. Don't have another, uh, oh God, Stephen F. Stephen Austin. F. Austin. Oh, yeah. Let, let, let's not have that. I mean, that's... And that's kind of where I thought, and this is probably hyperbole, but that's where I thought, like, in recent years, the program kind of lost its identity to a sense. I mean, I remember Singler making shirts because they didn't lose at home. Right. You know, and taking pride in that. And I just, I felt like towards the end, when it became such a revolving door, traditions like that didn't mean as much. And I, I feel like that is something that they lost and that, that hurt them. Um, yep. you know, I, I would like to see, and I think Shire has it in him. The, you know, what do you take pride in? Forget this whole, forget the brotherhood stuff, forget the branding, forget all that crap. You know, what do you take pride in? You know, do you take pride in actually, do you slap the floor because you're taking pride in your defense or are you slapping the floor because that's what you see Duke do? I mean, mm. you know, what is the deeper meaning of everything and who are we as a program? And I, I, I think John is the right guy for that. And I mean, like I said, I, I keep telling everybody I'm bullish as I can be on this team. I, I truly think they have the potential to be a national title contender if it all goes well. And, you know, it's, it's, but it's not going to, it's going to be 1991 style national title contender where yeah, right. they go through the, mo- you know, they go through the bumps and the bruises that, and then they start coming together. It's not going to be 1992. It's not going to be 99. It's not going to be 01. You could make a case for 2010, but you know, people talk about 2010. That team was, you know, what they won what 35 games. Yep. Yep. I mean, or even 20, yeah, they were good. Yeah. 20, even 2015, they're 30 some win. This team's not going to win 30 games. I, I just, there's not enough games on the season, in my opinion. Yeah. But you know, could they could they end up like you know, because I said twenty-four and seven. At best, you can. At best, at that point, they could go thirty-three and seven. Um, you know, I, I'd take thirty-two wins and eight losses if if number thirty-two is on Monday night. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah I'm, I, I'm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I'm getting more bullish too, but maybe that's simply from what I've seen on the court. And I, again, I know it's two weak opponents, but. I just, something felt different. That's the only way I can explain it. Everything felt fresh. Like there's more movement. There's just more, it it seems like they're actually being coached. And Uh that that sounds really harsh, but (laughs) I just don't think that Kay was doing a lot of coaching in that last, you know, really in the one and done era. Well, remember when when we had the guy who wrote the Coach K book on, Mm -hmm. I mean, he said, you know, Krzyzewski had the internal conversations of, Look, I got back. He got back from London or whatever it was, and goes, "I just want to coach the best." 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go get me the best. And it was literally like Team USA, where the difference was, you know, those guys are the best basketball players in the world, and they can just, you know, put a couple things together. And, and basically, it's all about creating identity, about creating a team. But the X's and O's, they started needing them more and more, but you know, they didn't need them as much as the college kids need them. Yeah, so, especially not 18-year-olds. Exactly, who are not going to care about playing defense. Right. And more importantly, the guy you're not playing, um, <laughs> well, just, just for the full fun of it, the Harrison Barnes of the 2016 team who doesn't play is is not, you know, as a professional, when you call his number, he's going to go out there and play hard. Right. As a 19 or 20-year-old college kid, Marquise Bolden, you know, you don't get your number called for three years. You go out there and you play scared because you know you're getting ready to come out. And you play scared because, unlike the professional, you're not set. You right. know, it's, there's, it's a difference. Um, so, you know, like I said, there's it's just... There's a lot going on right now. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to track over the course of the season. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, I know we're doing a season preview, but I kind of want to hold off on doing any kind of like tournament predictions because it's such a crapshoot to begin with. And it's just, you know, something to talk about later. Um, but I think we're all kind of similar in where we see things around that. Anywhere from like six to eight or nine losses is kind of a reasonable expectation. Um you know, I think there's a ceiling and a potential to be like really, really good. But what's changed for me is I think our floor has raised significantly for me. Like coming mm-hmm. into the season, I was thinking, you know, there's a possibility we could be, you know, 18 really or 12 yeah. or, yeah, you know, just not there. Um, and I, I just don't see that right now. You know, I just think the floor is just a lot higher. Um, it's not quite the roof. But it's getting <laughs> to a point where it's like, okay, I think that we're going to be fine. They, they have um, too many. They have too many decent players who care. To my yeah. mind, like, yeah. There's. It's not that there's this high level of talent. It's just everybody out there looks competent, and they all are working really hard, and they look prepared. Yeah. And there's a spot to be replaced, right? Like if Proctor's mm-hmm. really not playing well, Blake's will play his ass off and he'll get out there and he'll take right. your spot for 10 minutes. You know, like if if Filipowski or if Lively, if they're struggling, then here comes Ryan Young, here comes Mark Mitchell. Like there's spots all across. If Derek's kind of slipping for a little bit, Grandison can come in because the drop-off is not quite there. Now the projection of talent is definitely a, still separate some of these guys. But what we're going to see in this one year, I don't think it's going to be the differential is going to be enough to justify just the ultimate 40 minutes, play as much as you want, ultimate green light. I don't really think we're going to see that. Maybe Jeremy gets that just because. Um, but I, I don't think we're going to see that really from anyone else. So it'll kind of be interesting to to track that. But um, yeah, I, another thing to be optimistic about is I, I got some feedback on the back channels on that Houston scrimmage. And I mean, what I heard was basically Mitchell showed out. The feeling was if you had Whitehead and Lively full strength, Duke wins that game. And let's, you know, Duke, Duke had just played in the blue white game. They're still figuring some stuff out. They went and played a top three team in the country and played them even after halftime as they got their feet underneath them 
and they were leading for a good point uh, of the first half and Houston went on a run and that's understandable. But I mean, is it really that hard after what you've seen to think of Houston's backcourt overwhelming Proctor, maybe overwhelming Roach a little bit? Yeah. I don't think it's all that, un, you know, hard to see. Yeah. Now let's let's fast forward five months, and these guys have gotten thirty games under their belts. I, I, you know, again, I, I still say I, I'm I'm bullish as I can be on this team's potential, and you know, I think Raul's point about the floor being raised really well is. Or maybe it was you, Josh. But I mean, yeah, yeah, the floor. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I believe in it, and I think the ceiling is as high as it can be. Um, and the other thing, for the next couple of years, I don't see you're going to see that guy come in. You're not going to see a Paolo come in. You're not going to see a Bagley, a Zion. One, I don't think that kid exists in high school basketball right now. Maybe the Boozers, maybe Flag in mm-hmm. 2025. Yeah. But I mean, for the next two classes. It's a bunch of guys, a bunch of really, really talented guys, but a bunch of guys. And yep. I think you're going to see some, you're going to see a lot more continuity from year to year for the next couple of years. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm as bullish as I can be on the program. And I'm actually excited to f- keep following the program under this new era. Um, yeah, I think I, there I, was a feeling that it just gotten stale. You know, it's not that we don't appreciate K. It's just... Right. It was time. Well, it's 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 unfair to him to compare him for what he was. Right. Right. I mean, you know, I I still say, can you imagine early '90s K maybe pushing some of these teams right now? I, I would have even gotten those kids to commit. Would have even would those kids right. have even played for him? I mean, Drill Sergeant K probably doesn't. I mean. I can see Cam Reddish. <laughs> I mean, don't know that that would have gone well. I think Zion would have been fine. I think RJ would right. have been fine. Um, but you know, I don't see Bagley reacting well to that. Um, you know, just personality wise, right? I think so, the twenty I mean, the twenty fifteen guys would have been okay too, but it, it yeah. really would have varied from kid to kid. You need there's a specific type of kid who wants to be pushed in that way. And it's probably less common now than it was. You know, I hate to pull that kind of old man shaking my fist at the clouds <laughs> thing, but you know, there's just been kind of a cultural shift right. away yeah. from that kind of disciplinary and attitude. And I think Kay was very, very wise to transition from that mm-hmm. one for his own health, two for the health of his program. I mean, he would have ended up like Bobby Knight. Um, and I think he was just. He's an incredible leader. He's an incredible understanding of understander of people. Um, you know, people give him crap about the whole leadership thing, but he's a fantastic leader. Mm. And I mean, he understands people and he was willing to look at, look at himself to change. Um, but I agree with the point of at some point you're in your mid seventies trying to relate to teenagers. Um, that's not an easy thing to do. And you see it more and more. I mean, I, I don't know when Jim Beheim expects to ever become relevant again, um, but you know, I I can absolutely see Tony Bennett walking away. Uh, Jay Wright's already gone. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think it's it's the changing of the guard, and I think Duke got ahead of everything. Yeah. Uh, with the guy they hired. 
And it's not, you know, I don't think it takes anything away from Kay. I mean, the guy was battling human nature and like what you're saying, John, to me, it's, there was nothing left for him to chase. I mean, obviously you're chasing winning, but you've done it at a level that no one's ever done it. More tournament wins, more regular season wins, most wins of all time, most titles of any active coach, not named all the way back to Wooden. So what's left to do, right? And so to me, in your 70s, you you don't really have anything that you're chasing. And from an individual standpoint, you're, you're going to burn out, right? You're going to lose that desire to do the preparation. You're going to lose that desire to do all these little creative tweaks that we're seeing John do, right? The little passings, the little sets, you just lose that. You know, Kobe talked about that, you know, you lose the desire to to practice that preparation. That yeah. He was like, it's not the games. He's like, I can play in games all day long, but you lose that drive to to get up at 3 a.m. and do that workout, to get those shots up after to bring it to To bring it to Kobe, it's like, a certain point your body won't let you right you just Correct. i mean yeah he he had what two hip replacements you know multiple yeah, other yeah yep. right um so yeah i mean k's was a 70 something year old man and it's like are you really going to function on four hours of sleep every night at that and point he was breaking down you right. can see it even really i think it kind of started with his brother passing in 2014 mm-hmm. you really just saw this kind of like you know you're getting burnt out when was the last time you remember him doing an entire season without having some sort of health issue right. or missing yeah. a game? I mean, I remember Capel coaching games. I remember Shire mm-hmm. coaching games. I mean, it's, you know, and it's at some point, and, and, you know, from what I've heard, he's as happy as he can be being, being grandpa. He's as happy as he, and he's earned that. I mean, he has earned that. Um, you know, and like I said, it's, he gave us the best ride any college basketball coach has ever given a program. Mm-hmm. Should be forever grateful. I th- I don't think that's completely. I don't think that's in um, conflict with saying it was probably time. He realized it was time, and the guy mm-hmm. that they got is now going to bring us into a new era of Duke basketball. That's going to be fun, exciting, and dynamic. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a good a place of any to wrap it. So, um, you know, obviously we're all looking forward to to the season to start. We're going to kind of kick it off again on Friday. The big test coming up against Kansas. We'll kind of get to see where things are at, what's going on. Um, you know, in the meantime, you can email us, thedevilsdenpod at gmail.com. Obviously, check us out on the boards over at thedevilsden.com. A lot of stuff going up with that. Um, we're hoping at some point, you know, Steve's kind of been going through a lot, just had a kind of a new baby, changing in jobs. So hopefully we'll get him on, him and John back on. We'll talk a little bit of recruiting um, and kind of what that's going to look like to project out with. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, keep the faces strong and the verify. Go do it.